0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. This isn't just said for uh, the wedding day, but just said as uh, observation as well. I know uh, that several of you might bring stuff at different times for your kids and things, and that's perfectly fine uh, to do so. Uh, but I'm asking you to take that home with you. Uh, particularly for the wedding that's coming up but also just service by service my wife has even made mention that her office is open if you want to slide it in there for after service and such uh, on just regular days just so it doesn't look like anybody has housekeeping set up on any particular pew if you had a guest come in that got here before you did and seen that they might think well I can't sit there and so that just kind of leaves the slate clean we've made mention of this over the years uh, from time to time and so I've just noticed when I've walked through the church here and there, that there's stuff starting to accumulate here and there uh, on pews, and again, we have no problem with you bringing things for your children, or maybe it's for yourself, I don't know, it could be, Uh, but then nonetheless, just try to be mindful of that, if you don't mind, and help us in that regard, and I'll be very much appreciative, very much appreciative of that, amen, and again, you can always see my wife, if you just want to slip it in there, and not take it in your car home, because I know how that goes, we take stuff home, and you forget to bring it back, right, whenever it's service time, or keep it in your vehicle there's all kinds of different venues uh, or ways to to cure that for yourself amen and we'll try by this coming sunday have a sign-up sheet for uh the chili supper and such and brother fred told me right now we're under a no burn ban and so if that continues as it goes on there won't be a fire outside and the chili will be cooked inside but we'll still be together if that takes place if you're wanting to have a fire start praying for rain so start, start praying for rain uh, and such, but as far as right now, that's the way it is, and uh, we are law-abiding citizens as long as it isn't contrary to God's word, and I think we're safe in this, and so we won't be doing that by no means. Plus, it probably wouldn't look the greatest uh, with Aaron Brown and James Malone and Brother Fred McGee uh, connected to the fire department to try to do something otherwise, but we wouldn't do it even if they weren't having knowledge of it just want to clarify that Esther chapter number three want to read the first five verses to get us started uh, here tonight amen we're in that time of year there's a lot of sickness already going on amen so wash your hands and all do everything you can to be diligent about that amen so amen verse number one after these things did king Ahasuerus promote Haman the son of Hamadath the Agite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Then the king's servants which were in the king's gate said unto Mordecai, Why transgressest thou the king's commandment? Now it came to pass when they spake daily unto him, and he hearkened not unto them that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matter would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. He was angry. Amen. Tonight I want to talk about... and. With the help of you all and the Lord, we're going to try to get through these 15 verses uh, tonight. I'm not trying to be like a uh, rush or anything, but whenever uh, what, whenever we pick a book that is, uh, is primarily a narrative, you can flow a little quicker through the book uh, because it is just telling a story. It's not like you're going to pick some great principle and truth just out of every sentence, okay, and so on and so forth. I'm going to talk to us tonight about New Threat, Ode Deliverance. New Threat, Ode Deliverance deliverance father we come to you tonight we're thankful lord jesus today god for it you've made us lord and we're grateful lord for your handiwork we're grateful for your hand upon our lives grateful for those that could make it here to the house of the lord tonight god bless their lives as they centered them around your word help us god to be lord empowered lord encouraged lord instructed god by the word of god it's all of those things and more to us god if we'll receive it as such lord jesus and take it as such for our lives. Help us now in the next little while, Lord, enlighten our minds, God, as we consider the word of the Lord in the book of Esther. In the name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen. And you may be seated in Jesus' name. Amen this evening. We may be thrown off a little bit for a moment as we read the opening uh, words of chapter number three, but again, we must remember You know, the word of the Lord, the division of chapters and verses came much later after the writing of all this. It was usually just one sentence flowing into another sentence. There wasn't the division of verses and divisions of chapters. But we start with chapter 3 for our advantage of being able to point to where we're all at. uh, That after these things, we read about this, that after these things the Bible says that Haman was promoted. And if you just read through chapter 2, and if you were to keep on reading into chapter 3, we might be taken off guard by that somewhat, because the last few verses of the last chapter, chapter 2 that we ended with, a week ago highlighted the whole fact that Mordecai had uncovered the possible threatening assassination of king ahasuerus he kind of tipped off that information to esther esther shared it with those that be of power giving credit to mordecai and they investigated that thing and it was so that there was a plot to assassinate the king and so whenever you close with that in chapter 2 and open with chapter 3 that after these things that haman was promoted you would think that it was mordecai that would be promoted Because of discovering and unveiling this this possible assassination, this plot to assassinate the king. But Haman makes his debut here in the story of Esther. It's important that he does because he is a major character, one of the major characters of the story of Esther. And so he makes his his debut here. He secures a spot. Uh, among the other characters like Mordecai and Esther and Ahasuerus that we already have been introduced to. We know from the last chapter that Mordecai has secured a spot at the king's gate. Again, we don't know if that's happened because Esther was made king or queen. (laughs) That would be... A little weird, but uh, but nonetheless made queen. But everything, anything, never mind. Uh, but uh, uh, queen. Uh, we don't know if it happened after or before. We we don't know for sure according to scripture. But nonetheless, he secures a spot there. And the gate of any city was a place culturally of that time where business was transacted, where where things of that nature took place. It was it was the courthouse or the city hall of its day. The the gate of the city, and so. We learn, though, however, that Haman, here in the opening verses of chapter number 3, is positioned above all the princes. He's reached a place of clout alongside Hazarus, that he is among all the princes, among all other people. For that matter, namely, he is also above Mordecai. Mordecai might have his spot at the king's gate, where business is transacted, but Haman even has his spot above Bab. They say, from the way I understand uh, through years of study, they say that, that the characteristics that are shared whenever a person is introduced into Scripture, introduced into what we would call a Hebrew narrative, that when it is introduced, that that is very crucial. The characteristics that are shared when they're introduced is very critical and crucial to understanding their role in the story in which they're introduced. And so, with that being said, we look at Haman. And Haman, we understand very quickly, is the son of Hamadatha the Agite. Haman's position in Scripture, his ancestry, his lineage, sets him in conflict with Mordecai. Haman, the Scripture says, was an Agdagite. That's just fun to say. Amen. He was a Agagite. Mordecai, on the other hand, if you look back at chapter 2 and verse number 5, when his introduction was given, it spoke through a different line of ancestry. He was the son of Kish, a Benjamite. So we have Haman the Agagite, and we have Mordecai the Benjamite. So Haman is a member of the Agag family. And as a result of that, best that means he was a Amalekite as well. We'll look at this a little bit in Scripture. Mordecai is a descendant of Kish. We see also in the Old Testament there was another man that was descended from Kish. His name was Saul, who was king over Israel at one time. The Bible tells, just have a little Scripture here tonight, in 1 Samuel 15 and verse 7, we're going backward now into time, the Bible says, and you'll remember... Whenever Saul, as king, was commanded to smite all of the Amalekites and to utterly destroy them. The Bible says, And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared a gag, and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refused that they destroyed utterly, And so this is the story that probably many of you are familiar with, that King Saul was supposed to destroy all the Amalekites. King Agag was one of them, but instead of destroying it all, he kept King Agag, he kept some of the best of the livestock, and uh, Samuel the prophet came, you know, and he inquired about, did you completely obey the Lord? And he said, yeah, I did it. And he says, well, that what's that lowing of the ox I hear in the background? What's the bleeding of the sheep? And he come to find out that he had not. He spared King Agag, which was a Amalekite, which whenever you read that the sparing of this, and this could have been enough time that uh, there could have been some seed of Agag that went on in the family line that would resulted in what we would know in Esther's time as Agagites. All right, and so he is then. Uh, when we look at Haman, this is tying back to the days of Saul. Of the Amalekites and King Agag and the Agagites. This is tying him all the way back then. That's his family history. That's his heritage. Well, when we talk about Mordecai and him being a Benjamite, we go to 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 21. Uh, The reading of this scripture is whenever Saul is going to be proclaimed as king and they're looking for him and this is a man who the bible says king saul was head and shoulders above all he was uh, quite a i guess tall gentleman uh, especially for a jew among everybody else they were looking for him and the bible says they finally discovered him he was hiding among the stuff and so the bible says in verse 21 when he had caused the tribe of benjamin because they're trying to find saul because they're going to anoint him king and so they're going through uh, the families and the clans to get down to this man saul this is the one that's going to be When he had caused the tribe of Noah, Benjamin, to come near by their families, the family of Matri was taken, and Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. When they sought him, he could not be found because, the Scripture goes on and tells us, he was hiding among the stuff. Saul was a Benjamite. Saul was the, the son, his father was Kish, and he was in that family line. And so what we have here is back in the day, Saul, a Benjamite, was to utterly destroy the Amalekites, King Agag, and all of them. Fast forward many years later, we have a man from a Benjamite tribe and a man from the Agai, Agagites wouldn't, who wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for the faux Paul years ago. Now, what are they doing? They're button heads. Just as there was conflict years ago between Saul and the Amalekites, now the Amalekite line and the Agagite line, amen, and the Benjamite line, they're having conflict again. Even if Mordecai's Kish, all right, I'm talking about his relative, all right, (laughs) don't want to be misconstrued here. Even if Mordecai's Kish, even if it wasn't the same kish as Saul's kish, they both were of the tribe of Benjamin. All right, Both Saul and Mordecai were both of the tribe of Benjamin, and that's particularly just plainly labeled in Scripture. And as a matter of fact, even if the line of Haman, even if somehow you were to do the genealogy, which it could get really messy, all right, and and you couldn't trace, say, Haman all the way back to the king Agag himself, the, the label Agagite was a common label that the Jews ascribed to any enemy they had because that was such an enemy in their day and that king was spared that any enemy that came down the line, whether they were a Agagite by descent or not, they just labeled their enemies that because that was an enemy that should have been taken care of that wasn't taken care of, and they label them as such. And so when we think about this, even if it's not a genetic descent of the Amalekites, which I personally believe it is, but nonetheless, the Amalekites, this war, this this battle, this conflict between them and the Jews is something that is very, very uh, steeped in Jewish history because whenever the Israelites were delivered from Egyptian bondage and came out of bondage and they're making their Travel through the wilderness to get to the, the 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 River Jordan. It is the Amalekites that were the very first ones to attack Israel as the nation of Israel when they came out of Egypt the Bible records that for us in Deuteronomy 25 starting with verse number 17 uh, Moses is speaking to Israel, and he tells them, He says, Remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way, when ye were come forth out of Egypt, how he met thee by the way, and smote behind most of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee when thou wast faint and weary, and he feared not God. So when they came out, the Amalekites, Amalek, they came, they 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 picked on everybody in the back. Of the line because that's typical as an army as people that's where you keep your sick your wounded those that were having difficult time and so they really didn't want to play fair they didn't want to go toe to toe with a fresh man they took out those that were in the back he said don't forget what they did to you when they came out of when you came out of Egypt verse nineteen therefore it shall be when the Lord thy God hath given thee rest from all thine enemies round about. In the land which the lord thy god giveth thee for inheritance to possess it that thou shalt blot out the remembrance of amalek from under heaven thou shalt not forget it so this conflict that we have in essence between mordecai and haman is a very old conflict that goes back all the way to the times of when israel came out of egypt and i'll tell you this if 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 we had the time, and I don't have the time because we're going to get through chapter 3, it goes back even further between Jacob and Esau. All right? And so this conflict is very old between the Agagites. You just can't say that fast, folks. All right, say that. You want to do the tongue twister tonight. And the Benjamites, all right? And so, again, we must understand, though, I think it's important to understand, we would never be dealing with a Haman had Saul not followed through the, on the command of the Lord back in 1 Samuel 15 and utterly destroyed. We wouldn't be dealing with a Haman. And so we even know in Scripture, and we've highlighted this before in teaching and preaching around here, but I'll refresh your memory. Remember, he spared the Amalekites, and whenever Saul dies, he's sorely wounded, right? He's sorely wounded in battle by by a, 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 a spear, but whenever you read 2 Samuel, the first chapter, there's a man that comes to David and says how he spy, spied out Saul that Saul tried to fall on his own sword and it didn't work. And he asked him to finish him off. And that man was an Amalekite. The very thing that he should have destroyed, destroyed him. But to go and probe just a little deeper now, not only did it destroy him, but a division of the Amalekites, the Agagites, which Haman was from, is now seeking to destroy all the Jews. So we really have a flipping of the coin. Where a Benjamite was supposed to be responsible for utterly destroying all the Amalekites, now we have a division of the Amalekites an Agite Haman that's wishing to destroy all the Jews. What wasn't done To them then, now they're trying to do to the Jewish nation now. Scripture is very intriguing, in my opinion. You pull a thread of it, it's just like in a garment, and it's going to snag further somewhere in the garment. We're all the way here in Esther. We went through exile and all this, but we're talking about stuff that happened back whenever they were brought out of Egypt. Amen. And so Haman wants to do away with all of Israel. Haman... Wants to do away with all of Israel. And here Saul, years ago, had failed to do away with all the Amalekites. And so to the Jewish people, Haman represents everyone who has ever tried to destroy them. Everyone that's ever tried to destroy the Jews, because that's what Haman attempted to do. Haman is a Old Testament Adolf Hitler. Amen. As a matter of fact, there's some real interesting things we could look at. Concerning Haman being the son of Hamadatha, and fast forward to Hitler's day, maybe we could touch on sometime a neat, I say neat connection. It's really horrible connection, but uh, it's interesting. But nonetheless, we don't have time. I gotta stay on track. All right. Um, To the Jews, Haman represented then everybody that ever tried to destroy the Jews, and so Haman, in many ways, he even illustrates everything that the Lord hated. Because whenever you read uh, in Proverbs 6 about uh, six things that the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination. And you start going through the list of a proud look, a lying tongue, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. You start going off there, you can almost start doing the check boxes for Haman. And see, he almost represents everything, even that the Lord spoke in Proverbs that he hates. And so, even yet today, uh, during the feast, of uh, Purim, I know we say Perm, but it's Purim, where we, we during the Feast of Purim that the Jews celebrate, uh, that's recorded here in the book of Esther, they will read the book of Esther, and every time they come to the name Haman uh, in their Hebrew reading, which it appears about 53 times in the book of Esther, they make all this type of noise and try to drown out his name even being mentioned. They just despise the name of Haman, even still yet to this day. And so all all the servants, here's Mordecai, he's in the king's gate. All the servants at the king's gate, it wasn't just him, there were other people there as well at that place of transacting business. All the servants at the king's gate, They bowed whenever Haman went by because he's a high official, right? He's right next to the king. They bow whenever he goes by in reverence to Haman's office, in reverence to the position that he serves in. Again, he's above all princes, the Bible tells us. And so not only that, but the king even commanded this is the proper thing to do. As Haman passes by, give due honor and respect to uh, his office. But guess what? While everybody else is bowing, there's Mordecai. Just straight, he's not doing it. As a matter of fact, the other servants didn't understand why Mordecai did not give reverence to Haman's office. I mean, for one, and this is what we must get straight, and this is where sometimes people deter the storyline here, and we've done it wrong, and I've done it wrong probably even in the past in my younger years. And that is Mordecai bowing is not for the purpose of worshiping Haman. All right? They were just given respect due to the office. A few weeks ago, when we first started all this, I talked about, you know, the President of the United States, we give due honor. You might not like the man that's serving that capacity, but you give the office due honor. It's just proper, it's just right. There's nothing wrong with that. You're not worshiping the man. But it wasn't uncommon. Here's the fact that we got to get, uh, whenever we think of, of, of Mordecai, who's supposed to be a Jew, though he keeps that cloaked, right? Until now. Uh, Mordecai and other Jews, it wasn't uncommon for them to give honor, of course, to one another. All right, we might have no problem with that. Uh, this is just for your reference. In 1 Samuel 24 and 8, the Bible talks about how David stooped down to the ground, to the earth, and he bowed before King Saul. Again, he wasn't worshiping King Saul. He was just giving some, uh, a fellow Jew that was in the capacity of being a king honor. All right, and for that matter, listen to this. During this time when this was written, Saul's seeking David's life. He's wanting to kill him, all right? So in certain means, Saul was the enemy of David at this time. But nonetheless, he still bows down. Though he's acting the enemy against him at this time, he still bows down and honors Saul's position. So Mordecai don't even have to be, you know, Haman don't have to be a friend. To give honor to the position because Saul was wanting to take David's life. And David is stooping to the ground, giving honor to the position. Also, for your reference, in 1 Kings 1 and verse 16, the Bible says that Bathsheba bowed and did honor and reverence to King David at one time. And so the Jews, the Jews respected one another. If they served in offices or capacities, they did that. But I want to point out that it wasn't just Jewish people that they respected. They also appreciated the rose of authority and honor of others as well. Case in point, just for your reference, in Genesis 23 and verse 7, the Bible says that good oh father Abraham, right? The father of the Jews, father Abraham bowed to the sons of Heath. They were Canaanite people, not Jews. But he bowed in reverence to them because he made a deal with them over buying a burial ground for his wife and other descendants that would come, the cave of Machpelah. And so just out of honor and thanksgiving for the deal that they made, he bows to them. They're not Jewish people. He's not worshiping them. He's just honoring them. In Genesis 42 and verse 6, again, just for your reference, Joseph's brothers come to him while he's in Egypt They bow to him, listen to me, but they don't at this moment recognize him to be their brother. They see him as an Egyptian official. That would be someone not a Jew. But they see him as an Egyptian official and they bow. Why? Reverence, huh? respect to the office. They see themselves as showing honor to a foreign dignitary. So we have, I think just from those few samplings, enough evidence that Mordecai, you're not bowing because he is a Agagite and you're a Benjamite per se or that he's not a Jew because there have been other Jews that bowed to foreign entities and people that were not of their nationality or racial or religion. They've honored different people uh, regardless. But the Bible says that Mordecai did not bow. These other servants that were with him, they did not understand that. They even urged him, talked to him, inquired about him day after day. And the Bible basically tells us in, in modern day language, I'll say it like this. Mordecai just didn't pay any attention to him. He didn't pay any attention to their urging. And for since that was the case, since they couldn't convince, they thought they'll talk to Haman about it. And they're going to point it out to Haman that, he's, that Mordecai's not doing this and they're going to share some information. He told us that he's a Jew. Now, we are not explicitly told in the book of Esther why Mordecai did not bow. We are not told. There are a lot of people that write what they think is why. And maybe that's why we've gotten in trouble sometimes. But nonetheless, there is nothing explicitly said why. But it seems, if you look back at verse number 4, whenever these other servants had talked to him daily, and he hearkened not to them. And they told Haman and all these matters to see if these matters, Mordecai's matter would stand. And it then says after the colon, for he had told them that he was a Jew. It seems... I want to use that word because I don't want to say it is. I'm going to say it seems Mordecai did not bow because he was a Jew. Haman's the Agite, a division of the Amalekites. He's the enemy of the Jews. Haman's an ancestral enemy, if you want to say that. And so Mordecai is not bowing. Now here's what the servants were asking. If you're telling us that you're a Jew and you're not bowing, Our question is this. We're going to see if this matter stands. They're saying we're going to see if that's a justifiable reason not to bow. Again, when they asked Mordecai why he didn't bow, he told them, I am a Jew. Now, let's take care just for a moment and think with our brains. I know. It's hard. But I guess they couldn't figure out that he was a Jew by his life that he was pretending to live so he had to tell them. I am a Jew. Because Mordecai never mentions being a Jew. And again, remember, last week in the last chapter, twice mentioned and he admonished Esther don't don't reveal your identity conceal that you are a Jew let me say this tonight and this kind of pricked my heart when I read this said in the scripture in the aha moment of how this happens today because sometimes we use religion or Christianity like Mordecai uses his Jewish identity in the fact that we use religion and Christianity sometimes conveniently where there is something we don't want to do, well, I'm a Christian. It becomes our leverage. Like, well, I'm a Christian. Then other times, we separate ourselves from that same thing, label of Christianity or religion, because there are some things we want to do that our Christianity would advise us not to do. And so... We bow out from our identity because we want to do it. And so we use it as a tool of leverage, either for stuff we don't want to do. We're going to use this to get out of stuff we don't want to do, but we'll ignore it for the things we want to do that it wouldn't support. Mordecai, this is just pastor tonight, bringing up the idea of a Jew right now because he's wanting leverage of being a Jew, perhaps, if it could somehow get him from having to bow down out of respect and honor and reverence because this is an ancestral enemy of the people of Israel. And so uh, we can do this with our spiritual lives in Christianity. Embrace it when we want to get out of something, shun it when we want to do something. Amen? Amen. And when you see this, you see Mordecai owning it to get out, and really, you see on the flip side, Esther shunning it to keep in. Good standing with the king and please everybody. And... Esther chapter 3 and verse number 6, let's move forward some. <clears throat> the Bible says, so Mordecai's learned all of this, right? He's seen that. He, or uh, rather, Haman's learned all this. He's seen that Mordecai doesn't bow down and such. And he is is Haman. He thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had shewed him the people of Mordecai, right? Because they had told him that Mordecai was a Jew, whereof Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. In the first month, that is the month Nisan, in the 12th year of king Ahasuerus they cast purr that is the lot before Haman from day to day and from month to month to the 12th month that is the month of Adar and Haman said unto king Ahasuerus there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom and their laws are diverse diverse from all people, neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring it into the king's treasuries. And the king took his ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite the Jews enemy and the king said unto Haman the silver is given to thee the people also to do with them as it seemeth good to thee now listen Haman in verse number five has paid particular attention because uh the other servants had had told him pay attention to what Mordecai does when you walk by he paid particular attention to Mordecai's lack of response and now now that he's made aware of that, he's picking up on that. Amen. And his interest is a little piqued here because he knows, according to the servants, that Mordecai is a Jew. All right? Here's something that, that's important or whatever. Anti-Semitism or the hostility against Jews, discrimination against Jews, prejudice against Jews. Whenever you hear anti-Semitism, that's what that is. That's been going on for years. That's, that's as old as the Old Testament. That's been going on for years. It's, it existed long before uh, the, the, the millions of Adolf Hitler taking. Uh, and so that's been around forever. And it's still, it's still current. And Esther, it's still current still yet even today. Did Mordecai, so we ask, begin to ask ourselves a question. Because that posed a problem. Haman's now attacking all the Jews. And this is just, just for thought. You know, you may start to think, well, did Mordecai have Esther hide her nationality because, you know, he feared such thing happening? Well, maybe he did. Perhaps he did. But if that was truly a fear of his, I'm just asking a question back to you, then why didn't he move back home to Jerusalem rather than stay in Shushan? Why did he stay among all the fair, the thoroughfare of uh, of the Persian kingdom why didn't they just go back home if that what he would maybe be worried about and why he would add or conceal that why didn't he just go home where all the other Jews most of the other Jews were Bible says Haman was full of wrath again Go through Esther sometime, look at all the times, wrath, anger, uh, getting just overly upset. You could do a study again on anger just in the book of Esther. But Haman, he, he didn't want, as he seen him not bowing, Mordecai not bowing, he doesn't want him to pay alone for his antics. He wants his people to pay. He wants this whole nationality of people to pay. And this seems to be the tempo of the Persian people, right? Why do you say that, Brother McGee? I say it like this. Because here's one man that didn't bow, and so he's going to take out all of them that's just like him. What happened in chapter number 1? Vashti doesn't come in before King Ahasuerus. What does Memukin say? She doesn't. We're going to make a decree so that all the women, right? One woman now turns into all women that's going to be under some law of some decree. We have here with Haman, one man didn't bow. Now all of his people. They're going to be annihilated and snubbed off the planet, you know, because, and so this seems to be the temple of Persia. Don't make Persia upset. They're going to take your whole family, you know. They're just they're going to wipe you all out into, into. well, not even tomorrow, yesterday, I guess, or no tomorrow for you. And so Mordecai's disobedience subjected all these Jews to destruction, okay? So where the Benjamite Saul failed and utterly destroying the Amalekites. Now the Agagite Haman wants to kill all the Jews entirely. Now look at verse number 7. Whenever you read verse number 7, I even did this, when I first read it in the King James Version and read it a few times, it seemed like they cast a lot every day for every month until they got to the 12th month. But that's not the way it is. It's not the way it is. They didn't start casting lots on the first month of Nisan and continue to the last month of Adar. But... Each cast stood for a different day and month. What that means is this. They cast the lots to decide on a day that the destruction was to take place, and they cast the lots to to decide a month. So they decided the day and the month by a casting of the lot. And so this lot was cast in the first month, which was Nisan, and it was common. This was very common. This is how they decided their calendars. On the first day of the month, they would cast lots for all their special days that wasn't already uh, set in stone for them. They would cast lots for all their... That's how they planned their calendars. Let's just cast... It'd be equal to casting dice, a certain number representing certain days and certain months. So they cast lots for all their important events in the first month for their calendar year. And so the Bible says though it was on the 12th, this, this casting lots in the first month, it was, this is important because Scripture has given us this little timeline through Esther. It was the 12th year of King Ahasuerus. The reason why I say that is important, you go back to chapter 1 and verse 3, It was the third year of his reign when he held all the banquets and Vashti was disposed of. It was the, let me check my notes, the seventh year in chapter 2 and verse number 16, it was the seventh year of his reign when Esther had her one night with the king. And so now we are in the twelfth year, five years later after she's been made queen, five years later, amen, they are deciding, Haman is deciding the death date. For all the Jews. And so he wants everything in order, right? Because he's going to go in before the king. He goes in before the king's like, King, this is what I'd like to do. He keeps the people unnamed, right? A certain people. I don't know. I'm really losing confidence in good old here. I mean, he's over a kingdom, and someone comes in and says, I'd like to destroy some people. Nationality, what grouping? Just certain people. I mean, who in the world is going to accept that type of deal or that type of suggestion? Hazarus, that's who. But nonetheless, he says there's some you know certain people who just keeps them unnamed. And, and what's important, though, part of what he says is true and part of what he says really isn't true. Because part of what he says is true is the fact that these people have different laws from the rest. They have diverse laws. That's true. But then he goes on and says, but the laws of the king, they did not keep. Well, the laws of the king that go against the laws of their God, they don't keep. But that doesn't mean they didn't keep the other laws of the kingdom. All right. There's certain things in our world today that I probably wouldn't keep if it came about because they're contrary to the law of God. But I'll still obey the laws that are set in order that doesn't go against God. So one part was true. One part was untrue. All right, causing this conflict just to arise. And in the back of his mind, he's thinking, and Mordecai's made clear that he doesn't respect my office. Maybe that's the reason why he said the laws of the land they don't keep because of Mordecai's own representation of not giving honor to an office. Listen to a portion of verse number 8, if you will, from the Message Bible. I think I had that thrown up to you guys, but I'm just going to read a portion of it where Haman is is giving this consideration or putting this forth to the king. He says, there is an odd set of people scattered. This is the message, Bible, mind you. There is an odd set of people scattered through the provinces of your kingdom who don't fit in. Their customs and ways are different from those of everybody else. Folks, let me tell you something. That's my desire today. I'm a pilgrim and I'm a stranger here below. I don't want to fit in. I don't want to fit in. The old song used to be saying, "This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Our customs and ways are different; should be different because we're of a different world." Amen. They should reflect those of another kingdom, right? We can be yes. We can, as Christians, be respectful here below. But we can also still be different. Amen. And so, yeah, I I like the message Bible saying they don't fit in because that's what I want to do. I don't want to fit in. Amen. I don't want to blend in. Haman wanted a decree written. It was his pleas. I want a decree written to destroy the Jews. And look, Haman says, listen, king, I want this decree written, and I'm willing to pay 10,000 talents. Now, again, talents is not skills or things like that. Talents is like weight. Weight. In scripture, I'm willing to pay 10,000 talents. I read a few different things. It was anywhere from 330 to 370 tons. I'm willing to pay 330 to 370 tons of silver to your kingdom, to your treasury for the destruction of the Jews. So if the king endorses the decree, Haman says, I'll finance the operation. Shoo. Talk about some clout. He must have got paid good for this new promotion. (laughs) Must have paid good for this new promotion. Or maybe he's a saver. I don't know, you know. Saved it up over the years. If nothing else, what we have, how many know that money is a very significant motivator? Hmm. Very significant motivator. Even if the decree of destroying this certain people wasn't the king's cup of tea, perhaps the money would persuade him. And for that matter, history tells us. Remember, the king had went and did war against Greece and failed. He wanted to do honor to his father, failed. According to history, they said the king's treasuries were suffering a little bit because of his war, because of all, of his, banque- because of all his banquets. And so maybe he would like to have a 10,000 talents to help the depleted funds that are in the kingdom. Amen. But verse number 11 tells us that the king basically tells, um, tells Haman basically this. It's your money, and this is from the Message Bible. It's your money. Do with it whatever you want to and do with the people whatever you want to. And once again, uh, Hazarus doesn't fail us because he doesn't think for himself. <gasps> he gives his signet ring which is his seal, it's like his signature. Giving someone your signet ring is like giving them the the ability to forge your name. He gave them his signet ring to seal the decree of whatever they wrote. All right? And so Ahasuerus is really, his, his actions are indicative of the king of the world, even the king of this world, because what Ahasuerus wants to do in his life is he just wants to avoid the responsibility for anybody's actions and empower them with the signet for that matter, empower them to do as they please. He don't want to be responsible. He just wants them to do their own thing, no attachments, whatever. And here Haman is identified as the Jew's enemy and he says, go for it, buddy. Verse number 12. We're getting to the last part of this chapter, which is my favorite part. It's really the part, the reason why I labeled this whole thing as I labeled it. Verses 12 through 15. Then were the king's scribes called on and just follow along. Then were the king's scribes called on the 13th day of the first month. And there was written according to all that Haman had commanded and to the king's lieutenants and to the governors that were over every province and to the rulers of every people of every province according to the writing thereof. Don't you love the wordiness? And to every people after their language in the name of King Ahasuerus was it written and sealed with the king's ring. And the letters were sent by post into all the king's provinces. All right. To destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish. Well, you couldn't say, you couldn't be redundant and you just say it different ways. Say the same thing three different ways. To destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. To take the spoil of them for a prey. The copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every province was published to all people that they should be ready against that day. The post went out, being hastened by the king's commandment, and the decree was given in Shushan the palace, and the king and Haman sat down to drink. Well, never seen that before, have we? But the sorry, sarcasm. But the city's Shushan was perplexed. This is my favorite part folks. So if you, if you didn't want to listen to me, just listen to me now, just for me. This is my favorite part. Because the scribes have been called in and they have wrote the decree just as Haman has asked it to be written. And they write on the 13th day of the first month, Nisan. The they write according to the words of Haman that the Jews should be destroyed, killed, and caused to perish. All of them. All of them. And in case anybody doubted what all meant, he included the verbiage of young and old and little children and women just to cover all the bases. In addition to killing the Jews, further down, we read like in verse number 13 that the people were not only going to kill the Jews, but they were going to spoil the Jews, right? We're not talking about giving them gifts, (laughs) all right? They're going to take what they owned. And this is the pattern of Scripture. This is the pattern of Scripture, leaving even up to... Uh, Esther rarely in scripture has an enemy destroyed another nation or another people without plundering their goods without taking spoils this is just the common way of war an adversary never killed uh, anybody alone but they always went back to strip the slain you see this even uh, a prime example of this would be with King Saul and his sons it happened to them the Bible tells us that the day after a battle where Saul and his sons were slain on Mount Gilboa that the Philistines came back the day after the battle and they stripped, this is the exact word, words of scripture they stripped the slain because, and this is a side note, this is a good sermon the enemy is never satisfied with just destroying you, he wants to strip you he wants to strip you of anything that you formerly had. All right. And so what's amazing me, and I'm jumping down to the very end, verse number fifteen, and we'll come back and get in between. The postscript on this whole writing and this thing that's going to take place and this whole decree, the postscript of this whole thing in the last verse, is that when all this is said and done, the king and Haman sat down and they drink. But the city of Shushan is perplexed, and so we have a collection of people here, from everything that's just occurred. You have someone that's just totally ignorant and clueless. That's a hazardous. A Certain people, I mean, I mean a hazardous. Then you have somebody else who's just don't care. Their enemy. Guess who that is? That's Haman. But then you have a bunch of people that are they're just confused. The people of Shushan. Where did, this de- I mean, where did this decree come from? You know what I'm saying? Like, we're just living our lives, and all of a sudden, one of the Jews that might be in the, one of the 127 prophets is just to be killed. It's like, what is this? All right. Now, this is my favorite part, right? The decree was written on the 13th of the first month. But the Bible says the actual slaughter, the lot that was cast, The slaughter was to take place on the 13th day of the 12th month. Decree written on the 13th day of the first month. The actual slaughter would be the 13th day of the 12th month. And so, and it's, all the slaughter is supposed to happen on one day, it says. But they're, where they're at right now, they're about 11 months away from that. There's a lot of time that's got to pass. I mean, we say sometimes, we say this sometimes with like surgeries and circumstances going on in our lives in the modern day. We say, Whenever things are delayed, or they couldn't get you in then, or that, and we say, and it's, it's supposed to be comforting, well, that just gives time for God to work. How many times have you heard that said? That just gives time for God to work. And I know what we mean when we say that, all right. I know what we mean when, they, when we say that. We're, we're not saying that God can't work in a moment. We're not saying that God can't work uh, in an instant. But we are saying something different may develop, right? Something could happen between now and then. That's what we're getting at. Something could happen between now and then. uh, For whenever that schedule, something could take place. And that's precisely what really materializes in the story of Esther. We have 11 months that something materializes. We have 11 months that something takes place and happened. But this isn't my favorite part. Not coincidentally, if you go back in the Old Testament, this is the reason why it's important to read your whole Bible, because things piece together. According to Exodus chapter number 12, the decree or the commandment, the instruction is given concerning the feast of Passover, when they are going to celebrate the first feast of Passover with getting out of Egypt. In Exodus 12, it says on the 14th day of the first month, the Passover lamb was to be killed in the evening time." Now, since the Jews reckoned their days from evening to morning, the evening of the 14th day was really the 15th day. But nonetheless, what is important, Scripture even says they would do their lamb selection on day 10 of the first month. They would keep it through day 14 of the first month. The evening of that day, they would kill the lamb of the Passover. They even, we know, according to Scripture, that whenever the Jews came back out of exile... They practiced the Passover. You can read, we're going to read it right here, Ezra chapter 6. And remember, you don't remember, I know. But remember that when we first did this lesson, that the story of Esther chronologically falls between Ezra 6 and Ezra 7. And so we have record of in Ezra 6, 19, and the children of the captivity kept the Passover upon the 14th day of the first month. Now, what I want to share with you that is interesting is this. The point is, the decree for the destruction of all the Jews was written on the 13th day of the first month. A decree decree to kill them, a decree to take their lives was written on the eve of the Jewish Passover celebration, which celebrated what? Their deliverance from Egypt, which celebrated what? That they had safety from the death angel whenever it passed by. Here's what I want to drive home: a new threat, but an old deliverance, while their death sentence was being written. This is powerful to me. I, could, I think I could take this and preach a whole sermon and wrap it up. As the death sentence in esther was being written jews are housing lambs to be slain as a reminder that their lives were spared before as it's being written someone in the present hour is saying you're going to die but they're on the cusp of celebrating a feast that reminded them They were supposed to already be dead. But for a lamb, which we know in New Testament scripture, but for the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. It was a new threat, but they were holding on to an old deliverance. And so you can say, Brother McGee, that's just a bunch of luck. No, 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 no. My God doesn't operate like that this is not the things that we see in scripture are not coincidence they are very purposeful and he's purposeful this is not what I call up. this is what I call that's just like God that's just like God because there is this perpetual reminder right in this moment when they need it the most telling them that God delivered all the Jews before God delivered all the Jews in time past before pre He can deliver them all. (laughs) I know the hammer's coming down. I know what's been written. I know what's been put in stone. But we've been celebrating this Passover feast for years when God delivered us before, kept our lives before. I wonder if that wasn't just a little sense of encouragement the next day as they sacrificed their lambs. We know what was written, but we know what's happened before. Mm, we should all we're dead men walking right now we should already have been dead well glory stand for me we've went long enough I could, I could preach a, we could preach a sermon I'm yeah, for another time another place we could preach that one anyway new thread oh deliverance what have you that's chapter 3 folks Chapter 4. Chapter 4. Amen. Next week. Hallelujah. Again, please remember, there's a wedding here on Saturday at 2. If you have things in the pew that you typically leave, take them either home, put them in Sister McGee's office, do something with them, if you don't mind. And that's not just for the wedding, but each service, we'd just like for you to bring that or place it and just not leave it. Uh, Help us in that regard. And uh, again... Uh, We'll try to have a list up on Sunday about the uh, chili supper and hayride and such. Amen. Pray for those that are sick and afflicted. And anoint your head with all that doesn't come upon you. <laughs> Lord Jesus, we're thankful today, God, for your many blessings. We're thankful, God, for your word. I pray, oh, God, today, Lord, minister those, Lord, sick and afflicted, God, in their homes, God, families. God, we pray, Lord, for healing, God, over them, God, and in their lives. I pray, Jesus, order our steps this week. I pray, God, help us, Lord, to be a light, Lord Jesus, in the darkness. God, the light, Lord, in the evening time, Lord Jesus, of our world and of our lives. I pray, God, help us, Lord, to be what you'd have us to be, and we'll follow, Lord. God, you, as you order our steps, in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray, amen, amen. God bless you tonight in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening.